Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, I just got back from camp, and one of the things that uh, one of the leaders said was, give me two claps and a Ric Flair. I don't know if you know what that is. It's just a woo. And uh, that song makes you just want to do that. Uh, it does to me anyway. Um, I'm glad you're here with us this morning at, at uh, Northside, uh, especially if you're one of our guests. Uh, we're, we're glad that you are here. You'll see a part of your bulletin. If you got a bulletin when you came in, there's a portion there you can fill out and tear off and give it to uh, one of the ministers at the end of the uh, at the end of the service uh, by the back door, or you can place it in the offering plate. Uh, like I said, I just came back from camp, and uh, my voice is going a little bit. So, all of you that've been praying for shorter sermons, maybe maybe today is the day, but may not. So. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Find somebody, let them know that you're excited to be in the house of God this morning.
that everybody thank you to get back safely and for us all to have a great rest of the week. Please bless these tithes and offerings to go and further your kingdom. In your name, amen.
children, if you would join me up on stage here for just a moment. <clears throat> All right. How are we doing today? How is everybody else doing today? Good. Good. Okay. All right. Look, I got something right here. You know what this is? A flashlight. Now, there's a couple of neat features about this flashlight. One, it has a magnet on the bottom of it. That's pretty cool. But the thing I like about it is it's just really, really bright. So um, you can probably even see it on the ceiling. Uh, does anybody want to press the button and see how light, it, how bright it is? Go ahead. Oh, try, try, try it again. It's not working, is it? You want to try it? You think you can press the button better than your sister? It's not working. It's a problem. Out of you think it's out of batteries? Well, let's see. Can't hold that. Well, let's see. How many times do you have to unscrew the cap to get the to get to the batteries? Hold that. Well, there's three batteries in there. You're probably too old. It probably needs a fourth one. Yeah, all right. A fourth fresh one. There you go. Okay. Going to be an engineer one day. All right, let's try it one more time. Let's put all these put all these caps back in there. Let's try it one more time. So you think it was a fresh one that was in my pocket, or should I have gotten it out of the package? You don't know? Well, who wants to press the button now? Anybody? Okay, you got to let go of the button. Anything? Nothing. Whoa! That is bright. I wonder if we could even dim some of the lights and see it a little better. What do you think? Oh, man. It's pretty bright. It's a pretty bright light. If I shine it in your eyes, it, it takes a little while to recover. That's what I'm doing right now is recovering. So, but yeah, you see it over there? It's a pretty bright light. Now, we needed the right battery in there in order to shine the light well, right? And then once we got the right battery, we can shine the light on the wall. Is that right? Yeah, until, until something gets in front of the light and we can't see it on the wall anymore. Yeah, well, okay. But you can't see the light over there because there's something keeping the light from shining, right? Well, once we remove that, we can see the light. Where are you going? To see the light? A little better? Okay, you get a little closer? Listen, we can bring the lights back up. But this, a flashlight, it reminds me of a verse of Scripture, Matthew 5, 14. Listen to this. Jesus was talking to some folks. He was teaching them a sermon. You can go over there. I have, I have a microphone. You can still hear me. So listen. All right. So listen to this. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then it goes on in verse 16, it says this, in the same way, hey, come back over here, come here. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Listen, look at me. I won't shine the light in your eyes, I promise. Look, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Just like this flashlight, Brooklyn, just like this flashlight shines when it has the right power source in it, when it has the batteries, if Jesus is in you, then you can shine your light. But it says this also, we don't need to let anything block the light, 
you know, like I put my hand in front of it and kept the light from shining. It says we need to shine our light and let people see that, and then they give glory to God the Father. So maybe other people will learn about Jesus too whenever we shine our light into the darkness, the light of Jesus. Does that make any sense? Maybe one day it will. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for these children who are here. Thank you for a simple tool like a flashlight. Help us to learn what it means to shine our light in a dark world. Let us be connected with Jesus. And let him shine through us. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand again and we continue singing. may be seated and as, as you sit down you find your copy of God's word we'll be in the book of Acts chapter 10 Acts comes right after the gospels in the, in the New Testament so we'll be in Acts chapter 10 here in just a moment but I want us to open up this this morning with just a story uh, when I was when I was in college I had a buddy of mine who who met a girl that he was you know, attracted to, at least in a little bit, and he talked to her for a little while and discovered that she was a Messianic Jew. In fact, uh, her dad was a rabbi at a Messianic Jewish, uh, I guess I guess they call it a synagogue, uh, just in the, over in Marietta, that kind of area up in, in, in Atlanta. And so, uh, as it turned out, this girl had a, a friend uh, and so my buddy was going to go to the Messianic Jewish service that, that Saturday night, and uh, he was going, and, and, you know, there was some interest there in the, what was taking place in the synagogue, but 
truth be told, there's probably some interest in the fact that it was a young lady that had invited him to the synagogue, and her friend had a friend, and so I was going, and so anyway, ended up the four of us win, and um, that was fascinating to me, uh, to hear some of the service in, in Hebrew, and if you're not sure what a Messianic Jewish person is, it's someone who can trace their lineage uh, through Jewish traditions and, and their biological uh, heritage could in theory be traced all the way back to Abraham uh, and so there's someone who's born a Jew but someone who has become a believer in Jesus Christ that he is the Messiah and so um, just like a lot of these guys that we've been studying these these men and women we've been studying the book of Acts messianic Jewish people and so we were there at the at the service and I was fascinated I had all kinds of questions and we went back and talked to the talked to the rabbi afterwards and asked him all kinds of things and he was very polite and answered our questions and I think at one point uh, he just decided that uh, we need to eat something and so <clears throat> when you're in Marietta there's one place that you need to go if you go try it's the Marietta Diner and so we went to the Marietta Diner and you know they got all kinds of things all times of the of the hour and we all ordered our stuff and uh, you know ordered our meal and I remember that uh, I, I remember what I ordered that night uh, I ordered breakfast because I could eat breakfast any time of day. I'm from Georgia, and I eat grits. And so I could eat breakfast any time of the day. And so I ordered a breakfast, and after the waitress stepped away, I happened to be on the opposite end of the table from the rabbi, and he looks down at me with these steel eyes, just, how dare you order pork and defile my table? Oh, my goodness, man. I just, I, I don't. I don't know if I've really ever been as scared as I was in that moment. And I guess he saw it in my face. And he looked at me and said, Nah, I'm just kidding. You can eat whatever you want to. And I was like, man, man, why did you do that to me? Uh, but I, I just remember thinking about, oh, my word, there's foods that he doesn't eat, and so I need to be careful about this. And our story today involves a Jewish person and some food that he doesn't normally he doesn't normally eat, and so. But before we get there, before we get to this story, especially if you're already familiar with the story, remember where we have been so far. We we've got last week, last couple of weeks, we talked about this man named Saul, and Saul has been uh, converted. He's become a believer in that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the he's the, the the anointed one that's come from God. And God has said about Saul, he is my chosen instrument. He's my chosen instrument specifically to carry the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so as, you, as, as we get here, one question, if you've, particularly if you've never read this story before and you pick up the book of Acts for the first time and you read this, one of the things that, that, that might jump out to you is, well, okay, but how would the rest of the Jews take this idea? Specifically, Peter, James, and John, how would they understand this, that this message now that has come to the Jews is to be taken to the ends of the world? Peter, the one who was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven by Jesus himself. Because isn't salvation from the Jews? That's what, that's what Jesus says in John chapter 4 as he's talking to the woman at the well. He says, you worship, you worship what you don't know, but we worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. Well, that's certainly true, but just because it's from the Jews doesn't mean that it's not for the world. Romans 1.16 says, 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power of salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. But what does that mean, first to the Jew and then to the Greek? Well, there is some significance there. Jews do have priority in a, in a few things. First of all, they're the historic chosen people of God. God called Abraham out, told him he would make him a great nation, and that, and that this nation would be a light into the world, that, that this nation would, be the, would, would, would carry out the, the message of salvation to the world. So they are certainly the historic chosen people of God. They're also the guardians of God's special revelation, not just his general revelation to people, like through, through his creation, but the special revelation, specifically I'm talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And people today that believe the Old Testament may be, uh, may be not written correctly or there, there may be mistakes in the Old Testament really have no idea, haven't studied much about how these Old Testament, these rabbis in the Old Testament, the great lengths that they would go to to preserve God's word. That if one, one section of the scroll just, just had any little error in it, the whole scroll is tossed out and, and, it, and it's rewritten uh, by hand. And there are, there, are, there are scores of rabbis that would read and proofread and make sure that God's word is preserved. But they were, they were guardians of God's special revelation. The Messiah himself, Jesus, was born to Jewish parents, grew up going to the synagogue, to the temple, studying the Old Testament uh, scriptures. Salvation is from the Jews. And then, even in the New Testament, what we've seen so far in the book of Acts, that the first people to be evangelized were the Jews. They were the first ones to hear this gospel message. And even as Paul, you continue to see this, he goes into the new cities, he goes to the synagogues first, he goes and takes the message of the gospel to them first. But, Jews don't have a priority when it comes to they don't have greater access to salvation they don't have another method or a simpler or an easier way to salvation it's still through Jesus Christ the Messiah they don't have a priority in receiving God's blessing God's blessing can come to all of us so yes they're first to the Jew and then to the Greek but Salvation is available, as we read in Romans 1.16, to anyone, to everyone who believes. With all of this in mind, and with all of this thinking about who Saul is and his mission, his chosen instrument, his purpose to go and carry the message to the Gentiles, now we turn to Peter. So what exactly is Peter thinking if he hears about this idea of Saul? taking the message to the Gentiles. And if you have your copy of God's Word, if you've turned to the book of Acts chapter 10, I would ask that you would stand, stand with me. We're going to read, uh, and I'm going to read some different verses. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I will skip around a few, a few things, but if you will, please stand as we we'll read God's Word together. Acts 10, beginning in verse 1. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came and said to him, Cornelius. Looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and acts of charity 
have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. Skipping down to verse 9, you see this. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop about noon. Then he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he went into a visionary state. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the sky and the birds, excuse me, the reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. God speaks to Peter, tells him what he should do. Peter meets the men and the men take him back. Men, the men take him back to meet Cornelius. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He continues to share the gospel, and then in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you speak to us now. Speak through me. May we listen to a message from you. Speak to our hearts. May we be changed by your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> so what's really happening in this passage? I gave you just some of the cliff notes. I, I didn't read the entire passage, but I gave you just some highlights of what's taking place. It's not that it's unimportant. Go home and read it for yourself. But what's really taking place? So first of all, we... We meet this man named Cornelius, and he's he's in the he's in the military in the Italian regiment. Um, but it it tells us that he is a God fearing man. In fact, it even uses some language that we see oftentimes in the Old Testament. Your prayers and acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering offering before God. His his life, his prayers, his it, it, it's like his life is a sweet smelling aroma of sacrifice to the Lord, and God has recognized that. God has recognized that. But perhaps, perhaps he just doesn't understand the message of Jesus yet. And so he needs someone. But what we, what we learn for, for, from this story is that an angel of the Lord visits him. It just gives him a real simple message. You need to go send some men and find this man named Peter. I'll tell you where he is. They need to go find Peter and bring him, and bring him to you. Okay? Well, the next thing that we see is now over here in this other city, we have Peter, and he's doing his normal routine of the day, and but he goes up on the housetop. And maybe he maybe he skipped breakfast. He didn't go to the diner and order order bacon, but so he's gone up to the rooftop and uh, he's gone up there to to pray. But it says that he falls into this trance-like state, which is really I don't really fully understand what that means because it, it's clear that it's not exactly like a vision that that some of the other stories we see in the Bible, I, I, of course it would have said he had a vision. It says he falls into this trance-like state. But he's, he falls into this, this state of, of just this bizarre kind of state here that he's in, and a sheet comes down in this on this sheet. Now a lot of people have said the four corners of the sheet represent the four corners of the earth, and a, perhaps, but the big thing here is, is that there's these animals. And on, these, and, and on this sheet comes down these, these unclean animals, and, and God tells him to kill these and, and eat them 
And verse 14 holds something for us that is very, very significant to this story. Two words from Peter, a contradictory sentence. He says, no, Lord. Now, either he's Lord or he's not. You can't really say no, Lord. Because when the Lord tells you to do something, the answer is yes. And you do it. But Peter says, no, Lord. But where is he coming from? These are not, it's not just like if I had asked you, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the International Food Fellowship and those of us who have been to Ecuador have had the opportunity to, to taste uh, guinea pig. It's not like I just offered you some, some guinea pig to eat that, that was something that was a little different. It's not like we're, we're offering something that's just unusual for us. This was unclean for him. It goes against everything that he had been taught as far as his religion. It would, go, it would violate everything that he knew that, that he had been taught about God's word, about, about the Old Testament laws and, and rituals. So this is where he's coming from. Uh, it's, it's still unusual to say, no, Lord, but this is who Peter is, and this is, this is why he, he says this. And then he, he goes on. I've never eaten anything common and ritually unclean. Now, realize, too, if, if there is someone who is unclean, according to Old Testament law, unclean for whatever, for, for, for whatever reason, maybe they have leprosy, maybe they had uh, touched a, a dead animal, but if they are unclean and I touch them, I'm now unclean, and, and that's, that's the way it works. It's not like uh, they're unclean and it comes upon me and now they're clean. It's not like a game of freeze tag of it. It's... The, the uncleanliness would spread, so you have to avoid that. Then you have to go through the particular rituals in order to present yourself as clean so you could then enter the temple and worship in an appropriate manner. And so I see the conflict Peter has here. If I eat these animals, I'll be unclean. I won't be able to worship you. I won't be able to enter the temple. But God has something else in store. As we keep going to verse 15, again, a second time a voice comes to him. What God has made clean... You must not call common. This happened three times. And then the object was taken up into heaven. There may be some significance there that it took place three times. Three times is generally what it takes to get through Peter's skull, apparently. Three times you deny me before the rooster crows. Three times I'll ask you to feed my sheep. Three times I tell you to eat these animals. But at whatever... Whatever it takes there, Peter is finally convinced whenever the other men show up and say, hey, we're here from, we're here from our Lord Cornelius, and he's asked you to come and visit. Peter has a realization. Maybe this trance-like state was something that was really from God. Maybe he's, maybe he's teaching me something. And so they, they exchange stories a little bit, and he realizes that these visions, well, they, they happen to coincide. And so he visits Cornelius. When he visits Cornelius, Cornelius falls down to worship him, and he says, get up, get up, I'm just, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. And they share their visions again, and he understands, yeah, I, I, think, I, I really think I am supposed to be here. I, I, I believe there's something I'm supposed to tell you. I believe you're supposed to be here too. I believe you have a word for me. What is it? In verse 34, we've already talked about, Peter shares the gospel. Peter shares the gospel with him. 
Their visions coincide. Peter shares the gospel. Cornelius and his whole household believes. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter asks, hey, can anybody give me a reason why he shouldn't be baptized? Now Peter's convinced. Peter's convinced. Hey, this message is for everybody. Can anybody tell me why he shouldn't be baptized, why he shouldn't join the fellowship of believers? What we have here is a pretty compelling conversion story. Story of, con story of conversion. The obvious conversion here is Cornelius and his household. They respond to the gospel. They respond to the gospel. And, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't get away from sharing the gospel yet again. Verse 37. After he's just said, he is Lord of all. This Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. He says, you know the events that took place, Cornelius? You know that he was in Galilee, was baptized by John. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He walked around. He did good to people. He taught, he, he, he taught from the scriptures. And then they killed him. They hung him on a tree. As a side note here, you understand that means he was cursed because he hung on a tree. But God raised him up. But God raised him up on the third day, and we've seen him. We have... We have seen him, we've walked with him, we have eaten with him, and we can solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Cornelius, you need to understand, this guy, this Jesus, this is the one that we have been talking about as Jewish people we've been waiting on. Now, Cornelius, you're a God-fearing man. If you want to make this right, you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus, and you can be forgiven of your sins. He shares the gospel, and his whole house becomes believers, and they are baptized. Great story of conversion. But there's another conversion story here. It's the conversion of Peter. No, not into salvation. If, if Cornelius responds to the gospel, it might be said that Peter responds to the Lord. Verse 14, he says, no, Lord. He says, no. But the Lord says to him, Peter, Peter, this good news of salvation is for everyone. It's for everyone. And so through a vision, this trance-like state, this, this vision of these animals coming down on the sheet, this conversation with the Lord, and then this, this whole journey to see Cornelius and preach the gospel to him and see him be baptized. This, this entire episode in the life of Peter would really become significant. And we'll see that later on as he and Paul get into an argument. They get into an argument in, in a, in, within the church about how they should live their life. It'll be important for, for Peter to remember this episode in his life and, and what transformed within him. But I wanted to ask us today, if we have some barriers, like Peter, do we have barriers in our life that prevent us from following God's teaching, that prevent us from following after God's leading and guiding us? In this story, it appears to be a barrier of 
race or ethnicity. And I would hope that that's not our barrier today. But I think there are some other things, perhaps even internal barriers that are much more difficult to diagnose and at least to wrestle with and to make right. So my question to you today is where might we say, no, Lord, whether it's outright or whether it's indirectly to our Lord. And I think about areas where we could serve within the church or perhaps as we evangelize outside of the church. And I'm not talking about just the fact that we are nervous or apprehensive. We talked about that last week with, with Ananias, that he was, he was nervous. He was apprehensive to go to Saul, the one who was breathing out murderous threats against the church. He was nervous and scared to go do that, but he did it anyway. He took great courage. That's not really what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about these, there, there's, I believe there are some other areas in our life that may prevent us from following everything that God has for us. And I've just identified three. There, there may be dozens more. But first of all, do you live in a Christian bubble? It's a term that is often coined. What does that mean? Well, are, are all of your friends and associates also believers? Listen, I, I used a flashlight earlier with the, with the children. Uh, you know, one of the worst things is when the lights go out and you know where your flashlight is. You go, you grab your flashlight and the batteries are dead or worse, corroded and the flashlight doesn't work. But you only know that it doesn't really work because you tried to turn it on in the darkness. How can a flashlight or how can light in general penetrate darkness if it never encounters darkness? That's the danger. I'm not advocating that we just go out and all of our friends are unbelievers, but it's the danger in surrounding ourselves only with, only with believers is that we don't have the opportunity for our light to shine into the darkness. It is far easier to reject and boycott the culture than to engage and redeem the culture. It's easier to do that. We say, I'm just going to abstain from everything that's out there, and we never engage the culture. Listen to me. I, there's, there's, there's more here. Again, another story from when I was in college. I had a, I had a friend, that, and he and I had, had a band that we enjoyed listening to, and um, he, he, the band was coming into town, and so he wanted to, to, go, to go see, and we, we wanted to go hear the band, and, but I struggled. I didn't know if I should go or not. I, I don't know if I need to go because of where this band is playing. They're playing in a bar. Do I, do I go to listen to the band? And I struggled real hard with that. I ended up going. Uh, I'd never told my friend that I was going to come. I, I told him I had so many things that I needed to do, and I just would, didn't know if I'd make it. So he went on, and we, we went independently of each other. But then I saw him. I saw him there. And he saw a beverage in my hand. Now, hang on, church. There's a 95% chance that that was sweet tea. There's 5% chance that it was either Coke or Mountain Dew. I promise that's what was in my hand, okay? That's what I, that's what I had to drink that night. Because he asked me, where's your beer? And I said, I don't have one. I'm not interested in it. I've already, we've already had this discussion. You know that. And he said, well, that's cool. It's cool that you can still come out and, and listen to the band. And then he went on. That was a struggle I had. That was not easy for me to do that. I didn't know. Would people see me going into this bar? Would they make assumptions? Maybe they would. Maybe, maybe they have. I don't know. But I know that that guy, we had conversations beforehand. We were there together. Later, we had more conversations about what it means to follow Christ. I gave him the Gospel of John. 
uh, I had to have it in the back seat of my truck one day as we were riding to class. I gave him that. I said, read this. If you got any questions, let me know. Uh, the next week, I saw him. He'd already read it three times. And he had lots of questions. And over the course of about two years, he called me one Sunday night and said, I wanted you to be one of the first to know I just gave my life to Jesus. I said, amen, hallelujah. We have to be careful. We have to be careful when we engage the culture. I don't want us to be careless about it. We don't overlook sin. We don't participate in sinful behaviors. We must not allow sinful attitudes and activities of unbelievers keep us from engaging in friendships and gospel conversations. And I don't want to just give you some hard and fast rules here, especially where the Bible really gives principles. But when we engage the culture, we really do need to be careful. We do need to engage the culture. We do need to go into the darkness and, and, sh and shine light, but we have to be careful. I don't know that at, at, at my age I would do the same thing I did as a, as a goofy college student, but we have to move forward in prayer and in wisdom. And we must never use evangelism as an excuse for personal indulgences. It's not the purpose of why I, I would go and engage the culture. It's because I could say, I could mask indulging in the culture of, of, of sin and say that I'm evangelizing when I'm really not. One, one way that that happens sometimes is we sign up for mission trips because we like to travel. And that's not the reason that we go on mission trips. But today, I just want you to think, I want you to think, have, have, I, have I cut myself off from the culture all the way to the extent that I never engage the culture with the gospel? We have to be careful. And again, I'm not, I'm not telling you exactly how to do that in your life. But we have to be careful how we do it. But if we never shine the light in the darkness, why do we have the light in us? The next area. marginal commitment or, or just just busy I remember as a high school student as junior and senior I would uh, play I, I play on some softball teams with some buddies of mine we'd have tournaments we'd have tournaments Friday Saturday sometimes they'd last all the way and if man if we happened to be on a streak we'd play late so Saturday night but my mom and dad always said I don't care how late you stay up and play but you better not be late for church on Sunday uh, and it was just given that I would be there. If I'm not going to be late, then I'm obviously going to, to be there. And so I would tell my, I would, would, would tell my buddies that, uh, hey, if, if something happens, if it's rain, if the game's on Sunday, I'm, I'm just, you know, count me out. I'm not going to be there. Um, that was just, that was a, a choice I made on the front end. And I know Lindsay, she used to ride horses, and there was so many of those uh, horse events that she participated in were, were three-day horse events. And she's told me there were a lot of times that, I really had a chance to place on Saturday, but it was just a given. I wasn't going to be at the, the horse event on Sunday, and I wasn't going to be able to get the, the ribbon. But listen to me. It really is okay. It's okay to occasionally miss church for a ball tournament or family reunion or whatever else. But I, I think sometimes it's, it's also okay to miss a ball tournament or miss a family gathering in order to come to church. Dr. Bryant Wright shared something that I really enjoy and try to make it a part of my life. He said that when uh, his sons began to 
get a little older and, and play more play more ball and they, they had things they were doing that just so happened they might might be there might do something on a Wednesday night he said I told my deacons and my elders that if my child is involved in something on a Wednesday night I'm gonna be there but we've already told all of their coaches or if they had they were in the band the band directors we've already told all their leaders that if there's something on Sunday morning that we're not gonna be in attendance because we felt like that we were saying no to Jesus those were those are Dr. Wright's words but I think it's a pretty good I think it's a pretty good barometer but how do we or what kind of commitment do we have to serving within the church and do we allow these things do we allow other things to prevent us from following where God may be leading the other area that I look at is is comfort just just want to be comfortable my question what if God is calling you on a one-week mission trip or a weekend mission trip I know oftentimes I've taken mission trips and the in, in, in the, the questions that come to me after we talk about maybe what we're doing and, and maybe the travel how we're getting there the, the questions are well will there be hot water for a shower or will we have Wi-Fi uh, will the beds be comfortable what about water will we have clean water and oftentimes the answer to these things I don't know we may have it one day and not the next I just don't know I know it's uncomfortable I know it's uncomfortable what if God calls you to what if God calls you to leave your home to, to uproot your family become a church planner or, or a missionary or maybe God's calling you to just give to give a little more whether that's time or money or your skills God's calling you to give or maybe God's calling you to serve within a ministry of, of the church some of our folks here serve so much that they're, they're beginning to get stretched thin if they're not already been stretched thin with, with how often they serve. Next week, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, about what it means to serve at Northside. Somewhere, and, and somewhere along the way in, in our Western Christianity, we uh, somehow the Western Christianity got inexplicably tied to comfort that to be a Christian is to be comfortable and, and I understand we don't we don't like change and we enjoy what we know I enjoy what I know I enjoy being comfortable but occasionally we're pushed and, and stretched to do something a little beyond our comfort and we see God come alongside us and and give us the energy and, and the grace to complete that task so I, I don't know are there other areas that God's calling us and we say, no, Lord? The bottom line here is that Peter was challenged to confront his idea of uncleanliness. Unclean animals and unclean people. And Peter was challenged with that. God was leading. And my question really is this. Is God challenging us? What about you? What about me? Have we ever said, no, Lord? Whether it's like Cornelius, salvation, no, Lord. Or whether it's just that he's calling us to something else. And what, what would it look like if we just said, yes, yes, Lord, 
It's uncomfortable. It's a little different for me. But you're leading. And you're my Lord. So I'm going to follow. Let's pray. Lord, I look at this story here of Peter and Cornelius, and then we see the obvious conversion of Cornelius and salvation because of the gospel, and I thank you for that. I thank you for Jesus Christ who came, lived a perfect life, was crucified, buried, resurrected, that we may have eternal life if we just trust him and choose, if we, if we would just follow Jesus. If we could have eternal life, we could be forgiven of our sins. Lord, I also think about Peter, who was challenged with a lot of his preconceived notions of what it meant to be a believer because of all those things he'd been taught as a Jew and those things he still held on to even after he followed Jesus for three years physically on the earth but Lord you, you spoke to him and you broke down some barriers to carry the gospel Lord what are you calling me to do what kind of barriers are in my life have I ever looked at you and said no Lord what are you calling me to do and am I willing to forsake maybe the opinions of others? Am I willing to forsake my own ideas of what I think uh, may happen? Can I follow Jesus? Can, can, can I follow you wherever you're calling me to go in accordance to your word and being led by the Holy Spirit? I pray that's what we can do today. Teach us and guide us. And may we say, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. I ask if you would stand. We're going to sing now, have a time of commitment, time of dedication, just a, a time where you can spend some, spend some time with the Creator, allow Him to speak to you, and you respond. Maybe it's there in your own chair or the altar, or if you want to pray with me or talk with me, I'd be happy to do that as well. Thank you. Are you glad you came to the house of the Lord today? It's been good. It's been good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired. I had a, a long week, but um, it's good to be back. And some, some great things that happened with our students while they were away. And uh, thank you for allowing us that opportunity. Next week, we'll talk about that a little bit as we share some stories from some of our recent mission trips uh, over the last few months, really, with, from, from within our own church. But I just want to remind you of, of a, a few things. Some of these are in your bulletin, some may not be, but uh, remember to sign up out, out back in the, in the welcome desk for two things. One, for the ice cream fellowship. It's all, look, there's never too much ice cream, so if you think, should I bring? Yes. All right? Say yes. All right, so, so yeah, just bring some ice cream, man. We, we like it. We like it. And I want to be able to give away the golden scoop, Okay. All right, so that was just a little slight. I currently have the golden scoop. But we got to get the golden scoop and then um, sign up for the uh, picnic. The church picnic this year is going to be at FDR State Park. It's $5 parking fee, but sign up and 
again, that's always more fun when we got more people. We need to know. Uh, we need to know how many are coming so we know how much barbecue to prepare and that kind of thing. So make sure you sign up. Um, and then the last thing is if you hadn't voted for the deacons yet, uh, for our, our deacons that are coming on this, this current uh, church year or this next church year, make sure you do that. They'll be available in the, uh, in the fellowship hall. So I think that's all. I think that's all that I was tasked with uh, sharing today. Um, so at this time, Brian, if you'll come up and close us in a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for uh, the grace that you've made available to all of us, to, to everyone, dear God, who would uh, simply accept it. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for the challenge that you brought uh, through BJ uh, this morning. God, help us to be attentive to uh, your calling in our lives and um, what you'd have us do, dear God, and, and help us to, uh, to have the faith and obedience to, to say yes and to not hesitate but to, to see through. And we know um, that in doing so, uh, that you will be faithful to us and, and be there with us uh, to see your will done. In Jesus' name, I pray.